In the first season of Maverick, we spent eight episodes telling Bashara's story. We knew that it'd be tough to find a stopping point because Bashara's story is still unfolding. And we'd sort of made up our minds that it was okay to bring the season as far as we could and then move on, let his story keep going without us. And for the most part, that's still the plan. We have an incredible new season coming up that's about a completely new thing God is doing, and we can't wait to share it. But in the meantime, things have shifted pretty significantly for Bashara, and we felt like it was important to give people a bit of an update. So this episode is about picking up where we left off in his story. It's about transparency and honesty and tragedy. And in light of that, I'm just going to go ahead and say that this is the episode I hoped we would never have to make. After Bashara escaped his family's multiple attempts to murder him, things actually settled down for him for a while. He had the occasional run-in, like that time on the motorcycle, but he was relatively safe. And life got kind of quiet. Dan and his family got reassigned to a new country, so he and Bashara kept in touch as best they could from a distance. James was still there, though, walking with Bashara and a few others like Isabadine. And for a while, things were good. During that time, we continued to invest in Bishara and some other leaders, really pouring into them. We had two really quality guys that are connected to the church here, and one elder Bishara had a lot of respect for. Took B under his wing, you know, helping with this discipleship and helping with encouragement. And with these guys meeting regularly and doing well, it seemed like a good time for James and his family to head back to the States for a while see family and catch their breath after what ended up being a very long couple of years. It's really cool that we live in a world with technology. We can stay pretty close. So we would WhatsApp back and forth with one another. And um, I could tell he was experiencing some discouragements. Didn't seem anything out of the ordinary. Um, But in that time, there was kind of a drift away from some of the local leadership that we had put him under. He was starting to kind of pull away from them. A little bit and I would get messages even from them that things they were just asking from Bishara he wasn't responding very much and Dan was starting to experience the same thing Bashar was getting pretty flaky about responding to messages and sometimes he wouldn't respond at all and after a while of Bashara dodging calls Dan was able to find out from other local believers what was going on yeah I mean I guess the short answer to that is he got into a compromising situation, which led to him falling into sin, which led to him trying to cover up that sin. And it wasn't until there was like really substantial evidence that he couldn't refute that he did admit the sin that he had committed and in ways he had tried to cover that up. And that began a process of him pushing away even more because of his shame and a lack of desire to repent or take responsibility for some of his actions. And it's not possible to stay in fellowship with the body of Christ without doing that. And I think that's where Bashar has found himself. Bashar, you could say, is in the wind. He's walked away from the church, and Dan and James haven't heard from him for about six months. And while I'm not going to get into all the particulars of his sin, I will say that because of the way things went down, Bashara has left a lot of people behind to pick up the pieces. This is what it feels like going back, is walking into just a bombed out church 
the remnants of it are still there. You can kind of still see it. There's pieces of it. There's people that are still a part of it. But it feels like there's going to be a lot of work to be able to rebuild um, what has been broken. That's kind of discouraging and disheartening. It has been for our team and our family as we've come back with a lot of uncertainty and mystery to what's next. You know, still a hope that our brother would also come back on our doorstep and want to repent and restore, but yet not knowing where he is and when that will happen. We really wrestled through what we owe people in this. What do we owe Bashara, who's in a dark place but still a brother? Do we just air his dirty laundry to the world? What do we owe the listeners who've been brought into this story? We don't want to do the kind of storytelling that ignores the disappointments and turns a blind eye to the ugly parts. But we're not really into this cultural moment of monopolizing on failure either. And ultimately, we just came back to the conviction that this is the story God is telling. And when we look at scripture, God doesn't seem to shy away from exposing the darkest moments. We get to read about the heroes of the faith with all their triumphs and with all their dirt. We're brought into the lows with them, and we aren't really spared our own feelings when they fail. And most of the biblical narratives leave us with this unsettledness as we wonder why God would do such awesome things through such frustratingly sinful people. You can look at a guy like Bishara and hear of stories of strong, amazing faith, of perseverance, and on the one hand may feel just kind of irreconcilable. You know, like how could a person who did that then fall so hard? And the story that comes to mind is David. King David, he goes through some really amazing stories. And you think, wow, what this has done for his faith. And then you find him in this place where he, I mean, I would guess most believers don't commit adultery and get somebody pregnant and then kill their husband. You know, that's uh, extreme. (laughs) How do you go from one thing to the other? And yeah, he got accustomed to walking to the Lord in a time of war, but in a time of peace kind of lost the plot. And maybe that's part of what happened with Bashara. From the very beginning, his walk with the Lord was like this one big adrenaline rush. With miracles and danger around every corner, he knew how to walk with the Lord when literally everything was at stake. But maybe it was in the quiet that God became hard for him to hear. But whatever the reason, we're sitting in this moment with Bashara that's a bit like David's moment with Bathsheba. And it hurts. So I guess I just look at stories like that in the Word. There's so many of them. The Lord is so in control that it doesn't sort out all the the questions that I have right now. And at the same time, I think it does give me a lot of hope for Bishara's future, for the Lord's plan and his good hand in all this. You know, man had his plans in this situation. The enemy had his plans. But we are seeing God having his plans. Some of the believers that were connected to Bishara are still remaining faithful. They are they are saddened by their brother walking away for now. They're saddened by the consequences of that and how his sin has affected other people. But we are seeing God use that in others' lives. It's growing accountability and it's growing affection and connection with the other believers. And even today, there is a gathering within our city that is stronger and is growing because of the situation. And as I contemplate all that God has done in this city in Central Africa, I just keep coming back to the thought that if this story is about Bashara, 
Right now, it seems like a bit of a tragedy. But if this story is about a God who works in even the darkest corners of the world, through even the most broken people, then there's no amount of tragedy that can derail it. And that's why God uses messed up people, because it always has been and always will be a story about him and what he's capable of. And it's important not to lose sight of that. The church is so desperate for some good news and some heroes and some um, breakthrough in particularly difficult areas. This part of the story is it's, it's easy to just want to cover up and ignore and to want to kind of like go away. And it seems like at this point, it's, it's a bad ending to the story. I don't think the story's over yet. I think there's still some story to be written yet. What could the Lord do if he did repent? If he was faithful to confess his sins, what could the Lord do with a man who has been humiliated, who's done great things and then who has been humiliated? How closely would he cling to the cross? How quick would he be to give glory to God and not to himself? Not only in what he says, but in his heart, in his heart of hearts, believe it. How powerful of a testimony would that be? Not just to endure persecution, but to say, I'm a sinner. And like Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners. But for all those sins, grace abounds more and more. How sweet would grace be to him? And what a testimony that would be. Yeah, it would be amazing. And it's it's not impossible. And I think, oh, what a story of redemption that would be. It would be even more beautiful than if all this mess hadn't happened. And maybe that's why God doesn't really shelter us from these moments of brokenness. Maybe it takes sitting in the mess to recognize what really is beautiful. Because like I said, this is a story about a God who can do miracles, who can open eyes and change hearts and transform entire communities. And his story isn't even close to done yet.